hey, let's go look at the onboarding experience. Let's all product, marketing, et cetera. Let's go sign up for free. And I recommend everybody do this out there if you work for a PLG company. Sign up for your account for free every couple of months and watch the experience. Go through it and see what your new customers see and say, oh man, that's the questions we're asking. We're asking 10 questions before they can ever use the product. Or when we do ask questions, are these the best questions that we could ask to help later when we want to personalize and so forth? Hello and welcome to Confessions of a B2B Marketer. Big, big episode today. We have Jeff Hardison, who is head of product and marketing at the one and only Calendly. And what a person and what a role to bring on from that company. I'm sure everyone knows Calendly. The PLG or the product-led growth, I don't have the numbers, obviously, but it must be through the roof. Absolutely incredible story. So we dig into PLG with Jeff. We also dig into how to get a good marketing job because Jeff has had roles at Clearbit, Envision, Grain, and now obviously Calendly. So we'll jump into that as well. For that, big shout out to Fame.so is the producer of this show. If you're a B2B company and you would like a podcast like this, whether you like my style or this style or not, we work with every client to make a style that's good for them. Please go to Fame.so, request a proposal, and then say you heard about Fame from Confessions of a B2B marketer, then I'll make sure I'll be there whenever you speak to the team about the show. So with that in mind, let's jump in with Jeff right now. Jeff, welcome to the show. Hey, Tom. Thanks for having me. I'm honored because I've been a fan of Calendly for a while. And whilst loving the product, I'm also quite aware, or I think that I'm aware that you guys must be getting a lot of customers, I think, from the product experience right? and how we have this PLG motion. Now, only you can confirm that, but it seems like you are. <laughs> we are. We're getting quite a bit. <laughs> and so having the person responsible for product marketing at this company is a great honor. So welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. What I'd like to do is dig into this world of PLG, get yours and Calendly's kind of opinion and strategy on it. And to kick that off, I'd like to understand your view on the kind of straight PLG motion versus the sales hybrid motion. First off, super excited to be here. I love talking B2B marketing, obviously. And for many years, I did sales-led marketing, where the only way to buy was from a salesperson. And I think that was what many B2B marketers did. The advantage to that was that it was really easy whether I was doing sales in a tiny startup of four people or I was doing marketing for a big sales team for HP, you got to hear directly from humans how the product was landing with customers, what was working, what wasn't, what competitors were saying, why they were losing deals, why they weren't. I could get that data really quickly from a qualitative perspective from someone. And it was obviously usually the louder, more forthright salespeople that would give that information. And same with customer success. And there was a lot of data that came from that that was an advantage. The downside to that, it was obviously the loudest people in the room who usually gave you their data points. And so you might have eight sales reps who didn't give you feedback about how the product was landing because they were maybe shy or what have you. And it would be these two other people who maybe only brought the data points from their territory, from their industry, et cetera. When product-led growth emerged, what was really interesting was now you have engineers and designers, product managers, who have more of a seat at the table in these companies, and they are having the product itself attract people 
be able to onboard them with emails and in-app notifications, help them activate and use the product instead of a human, help them upgrade with their credit card instead of a human taking that order, getting them to renew. All of that was being driven by the product. Now, PLG has its flaws and so forth when you go up market, but there was a beauty to that because now I could go look at, say, all 100 people that had onboarded with the product, and the product would tell me, hey, this is what the trends we're seeing across all 100 people versus just what this one human is telling you that customers are saying. This was the benefit, like more data, you can see everything. Exactly. More data. Makes total sense. The downside to it all was that sometimes you need humans to help you look behind the numbers. And so in a PLG world, sometimes I, as a marketer, I will see, this is what the mode report is saying these 100 people are doing, but sure would help to have a human call all 100 people and do a 30-minute interview to learn. And that's where that's a great hack where salespeople and customer success can help you do that if you don't have the time to do it. Because right now, Calendly has salespeople, right? We do. And I don't want to share like all the secrets, but in my head, I assume that some people that are going outbound big accounts would have hundreds of users. But then do we also have salespeople that when it's when those big accounts are coming in and people, those email addresses are using the product, do they then jump in and be like, hey, can we spread this to more people in the business? I would say... So I've worked for some PLG companies where it's, say, 20% credit card revenue, and then it hits a certain number, like I'm just making this up, 20 million in ARR, and they add a sales team, and then the sales team quickly takes off, starts taking things that could have been a small deal size and turns it into a big enterprise account. And then it's like 80% sales-led and 20% credit card PLG. Calendly is not that way. Calendly, the majority of our revenue comes from the credit card side of the house that's automated by wide margin. And so sales actually makes up a pretty small percentage of our revenue. So we have probably a smaller sales team than you would expect for the amount of revenue we have. And they are mainly focused today on helping us go up market and going after, say, larger companies who need a human to help think through legal red lines and contracts, negotiate with purchasing, so on and so forth. We also have an amazing customer support team that helps kind of do what's like sales assist, where say you have a question, you're part of like a 10-person company, you have a question about which credit card plan you should upgrade to, which subscription plan, they could assist you on choosing one in a very low-touch way. Makes total sense. For me, the kind of magic behind Calendly, I think, is that for me as a customer, the only way I get value or my route to value from the product by definition, it is exposing it to other people that could be customers. E.g. that anyone wants to book a sales call, that's all that I want to meet with. And obviously, if I have a free plan, then the Calendly branding is on the product. But then if I have a pay plan, I can remove the branding. But because it's so obviously Calendly, I think that still has an impact. Do you think that was like part of the strategy? Obviously, you want the product to look and be amazing to use, but we also want it to be distinctive because then more people will know it's Calendly. I would say that's been a growth advantage for us. This may, the flywheel, as they say, in the industry is you share your calendar link and it will say, when you click on the booking page or to pick a time for somebody, it'll say, hey, if you want to do this yourself, sign up for calendar for free, top right-hand corner. So there's that. There's also, like you said, there's the actual calendar link that you'll see the URL, which makes someone say, okay, I want to check out this calendar thing. The third thing is that we've kind of become the Kleenex of scheduling links where you'll go on Twitter and someone's saying, can you share my calendar, share your calendar? And they might not even be a calendar, it might be a competitor's product, but they just say kind of calendar, give me a Kleenex. So I'd say those are three main kind of word of mouth drivers of the company that's helped quite a bit. 
Is there even a way to get rid of the, like have a completely custom domain, maybe on a super enterprise plan? Or is that not even an option? That's not an option today. That's epic. <laughs> and then there's also the SEO play because people are adding these links to their own domains and that's linking to you guys, which gives you the domain authority. It's just like absolutely incredible. Yeah, and I would say this question comes up, people will come to me and say, hey, Canley's done PLG well. Tell me how I can make my extremely complex IT tool for storage consolidation do the same thing. And I often say one of the reasons Calendly works with the PLG model is the nature of the product. It's many different customer-facing people who are extroverted sharing out their links, whether they're recruiters, salespeople, customer success people, sharing out these links, helping be an army of ambassadors for the company versus something else. It might be a little bit harder to do this kind of flywheel that we talked about because it's not like a two-sided conversation that's happening. For sure. How much of your product marketing role, and I saw a LinkedIn post recently actually about your definition of the role product marketing, that it doesn't exist. So this is going to be a good question. How much of your product marketing role is actually going and shaping the product roadmap to help that viral flywheel continue? That's a really good question. I'm going to back up and kind of give what I think is the academic textbook definition of product marketing is helping bring products to market, whether that's doing research with the product manager, to your point, helping advocate for the product with, say, engineering and design with the product manager to the positioning, messaging, the pricing, the packaging. And then once it's built, taking it to market, right? Enabling your sales team, teaching them about it, teaching your customer success team, helping work with your lifecycle marketers, your in-app marketers, and so forth. So I would say it really depends on the quarter to quarter here at Cali. I would say when I first joined Cali, I was less aggressive about trying to advocate for certain features because I didn't want to be that person that joins and right away they're asking for feature requests. I just think that's annoying. <laughs> and I've done this in the past, in the past companies. So anybody that's worked with me in other companies, like you've done that before in their first month. So I felt like at Calendly, we already had quite a bit of product market fit and quite a bit of growth. And it was more about helping the product team merchandise, promote the features we already had. And so for many years, Calendly didn't have much of a marketing team at all. It was just like a handful of people. And when I joined about two and a half years ago, one of the main requests when I did my listening to with product was, hey, could you just help promote the features we've launched? We've launched dozens of features over the past year. No one knows about them. No email has gone out, no internet messaging, so forth. So what we did in the very beginning was just, we created the newsletter, which some people have gotten when it says like Jeff Calendly. That newsletter, one of the main things was based on a request from product management was, could you just help promote some of these features? So that was kind of the first step. Now that I've been there a while, now that I've talked to a lot of customers, now that I've looked at what competitors have, now that I've used the product quite a bit, I'm more open and direct about features I think we should be building or features that I think we should prioritize over others that are on the roadmap. Got it. So you're actually getting stuck in. and was saying that maybe if we had this feature, it's going to increase that viral loop. It's going to reduce our acquisition costs. Right. Makes total sense. Or it might be, for example, hey, let's go look at the onboarding experience. Let's all product, marketing, et cetera. Let's go sign up for free. And I recommend everybody do this out there if you work for a PLG company. Sign up for your account for free every couple months and watch the experience. Go through it and see what your new customers see and say, oh man, that's the questions we're asking. We're asking 10 questions before they can ever use the product. Or when we do ask questions, are these the best questions that we could ask to help later when we want to personalize and so forth? Yeah, I think one change that you guys did at some point was I think, because I've been a Canada user for maybe like five years, 
But now when you create a new account, you go in and there are, I think, three events pre-made, like 15, 30, and 60 minutes, right? And so you can literally go in, get the link, share it on the first screen. So maybe that was your idea. Here's another thing about product marketing. Most of the ideas come from my amazing team. Because what we do is, and this is a recommendation I have for people who want to staff up product marketing teams. We have product marketers that just work on what you're talking about. We have someone named Marilyn who's an expert in thinking through onboarding product marketing. And so she works with the growth product managers and the lifecycle team. And they will do research. They will look at other experiences out there. And they'll propose things like that to product management. Or product management might propose it back to the growth product marketer. And they will work on those experiments together. Whereas we have other product marketers like Julia, for example, who will think about what does the sales team need to go up market? What kind of enterprise-grade features like skim and single sign-on do they need? And they just work with those product managers. Makes sense. I do want to circle back to inserting humans into the PLG process. So we mentioned two things. So having the customer service team who can ideally assist, but then we can also have our sales team who are potentially jumping in and helping those accounts that we know work for big companies upgrade. Is there anything else or any more detail on those points that you've learned about bringing humans in to help facilitate PLG? Yeah, I think one of the advantages Cali has over other PLG companies that I've worked for, other PLG companies I've worked for, it's often an engineer or a product manager or designer who've never worked in sales, never managed salespeople or customer success people. And their superpower is helping build a beautiful, elegant design-first product that kind of uses technology to do things that humans could do. Then what happens is they hit this ceiling of $20 million in ARR, and they try to hire a sales team, but they've never managed a salesperson. They don't know what makes for a good VP of sales. They don't know how to segment the salespeople, what to have customer support do versus sales. And that's where these PLG companies stumble. And you see it time and time again in PLG. Calendly, our CEO Tope was a salesperson. He was an enterprise salesperson for IBM and other companies before he became an expert in product growth and became very much almost like a product manager. So he's got kind of two sides to him where he understands how to get the product to automate certain things and how to get salespeople to do it. So I would say that's been driving a lot of the innovation we do quarter to quarter around what salespeople should own versus what customer support should own. And so you'll see a lot of experiments we will do with it where maybe two years ago, sales might have owned a wider group of cohorts of customers, of prospects. And then maybe we will experiment with narrowing it and having support own other things. Or maybe we'll experiment with having the product itself do some of that sales conversion work. Makes total sense. Shifting away from PLG, you've had some awesome marketing jobs throughout the career. So Clearbit, Envision, Grain. I wanted to ask you about, we have other B3 marketers listening who are potentially looking for jobs or interested in getting a job in the future. What would you say is the strategy for getting a good, like A, like sourcing, finding the role, but then also B, going through the interview process and not convincing, but sharing what you could do in the role in order to get hired? Yeah, that's a good question. My journey was a little different, but I enjoyed the journey. And that was, I started out on the, B2B marketing agency side. So for a number of years, I was a consultant to companies like Amazon and companies up and down the West Coast. And that way I was able to learn how to be a good marketer on behalf of these companies, right? Who wanted to outsource it. But I didn't learn at an agency how to deal with like internal 
communication, alignment, collaboration issues with people who were different marketers. Well, all my coworkers at the agency were marketers, right? So we all understood each other and it was all about who could be the best marketer. And then when I went to the client side, I got to really learn about collaboration. So if I were the person, if I was in somebody else's shoes, I would first look at what are my strengths of where I'm coming from? Am I coming from a, you know, an agency and I'm going to switch over to a client side? Well, let's accentuate those strengths and say, hey, I learned how to be like an amazing marketer in this agency and I could help you with X, Y, Z that you might be struggling with. If I'm coming from like a tiny startup and I'm going to a larger company and say like, hey, I know I haven't worked with hundreds of people before, but I bet you you're looking for somebody who's really good at X and knows how to hustle and take something and be able to do a lot with very little in this economy. Really create a story around what your strength is versus what their situation is and how they might be able to use you even though it's not obvious. Or if I'm trying to go from a large company down to a small and say like, hey, I know you're probably looking for somebody really scrappy who's done something very little with not much, but I bet you you have dreams of being 10x the size of what you are. I've seen where you're going to be in two years and I can help you on that path to get there. So it's really about looking at where you are, where you're coming from, what the strengths of that are, and how you can take those strengths and give them to where you want to go. If you're trying to go from college, university, and you've never done marketing to joining a company or an agency or what have you, that's a little more challenging. And so one of the things I did at university and I recommend that other people do, that was actually recommended to me, is do some volunteer experience. Go to, say, a small tech startup. Go look at their LinkedIn. See if they have maybe only one marketer or maybe zero marketers. And say you're good at writing. Say you're a literature major. Go volunteer to help write one-pagers for them or help write emails and say you'll do it for free. And then you'll get this certain amount of experience after three months that then you can put on your resume and use that to take to another tech company. Now, I know a lot of people out there say, don't work for free. I worked for free. It helped me a lot. And so you got to choose what works for you, but it, it worked for me. So first, we need to tailor our pitch, almost like we're doing marketing for the role, tailor our pitch to the company, show how we can add value, work for free at the start of the career. In terms of actually finding the roles, for your ones, for example, did you just have a great network and people would say, hey, we're looking for a of marketing at Clibit? Or did you go through recruiters or was it a mix? I think it was a mix. Starting out, what I did, because the most important was going from zero to one for me. I graduated as a literature major. I had done some internships, but it was in the music industry doing marketing. And I moved out to the West Coast and wanted to get a job in any tech company doing any kind of marketing. And so I just cold called. I just got a list of every agency and every tech company with a marketing department, cold called them all and bothered them until they were just like, please stop. And they would do like an informational interview with me. And then I would ask them, they'd say like, hey, I don't have an opening or I don't think you're a fit. And I would say, hey, do you have anybody else that you'd recommend I talk to? And they would say, yeah, my friend at this other agency might be hiring. I'll refer you over there. I did that for three months straight right out of school. And that's how I got my first job. And I got lucky because they were working with the recording industry, the ones that sued Napster. And I had music industry experience and they wanted somebody who understood the technology. But it was a numbers game to get there. But I would say since then, the way I've gotten jobs has been my first job that I got switching from agency to startup was Meridian, a mobile app startup we sold to Aruba and then eventually HP. And the way I got that was I did some free work for them. I wrote some one-pagers for them and I pitched them to TechCrunch and so forth and got to know them. And they saw that I was willing to like roll up my sleeves and work like they do without much pay. And they ended up hiring me over 
once they had a role opened up. After that, when we got acquired, I got to see what it was like to work in a large company. And so then it was on my resume. They worked for a large company. With Envision, I had worked with the CMO previously at Aruba Networks. So had seen my work. Clearbits, they recruited me. Grain, they recruited me. Calendly, had a conversation with the CMO. Like it's kind of been a mixture. But I would say what works a lot of times is to, LinkedIn is such an amazing tool. The fact that we have access to these people's inboxes is blows my mind. I would just look to see who's hiring and reach out to the hiring manager and just say, hey, would love to be considered for this role. Here's my resume. I noticed this is some things you're working on. These are some things I've done. And you might not get an interview, but at least you're top of mind and they know who you are and they can refer you to something else later. So on LinkedIn, I've been seeing some posts. I also understand we have the newsletter. We're going to link to that below. Yes. Is this a, we're going to focus on personal brand. Is this like a conscious effort that you're trying to like build the audience? I have this hesitancy. I had this joke behind every popular Twitter or LinkedIn personality. There's coworkers wanting them to get some work done. I've always had this hesitancy to do too much personal branding. I love to talk about marketing. I literally could do podcasts every day. Love it. I could do posts every day. Love it. But I have work to do, right, at Cali. And that's my first client, not my personal brand. And so that usually holds me back from doing more. However, something was happening, Tom, where like people were reaching out to me on LinkedIn saying like, hey, I'd love to pick your brain. I'd love to pick your brain about product marketing. I'd love to pick your brain about PLG. Could you please spare a moment? I'm just getting started. Or I'm a CEO of a tiny startup and I can't afford a marketer, but I would love to pick your brain. And I just couldn't meet with them all. I thought, what could I do in this one person reached out to me and said, why aren't you talking more about product marketing, PLG? People want to know. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is the solution. I can do a newsletter or podcast and I can get the word out about these concepts at scale in a one-to-many kind of marketing way versus kind of one-to-one that I just don't have time to do, but I would really love to do. I still is getting a switch of a calendar, right? I'm on the landing page. So it's, and we're willing below to the Substack. Literally in the description of the newsletters, how to guide on marketing for product like companies from the head of marketing at Calendly. Like we're getting exposure for the brand. Totally. I think that's the other thing is that one of our main personas that buys from us are marketers. And there's a lot of PLG marketers. My thinking is I can talk about things in sometimes the context of how I learned it at Calendly. And maybe it'll help promote Calendly in the process. For sure. Let's just close off with a couple of more Calendly specific questions. Was there anything when you joined? that when you got into the company, you're like, wow, or from the marketing side, you were like, wow, this is incredible. And obviously you don't have to give like specifics or numbers or anything. When I joined, what I was amazed by was that we had so much revenue, profitability, money in the bank, all of that, that was like envious, but it wasn't yet in fashion to be that way. It was still kind of boom time, Everybody was like, raise more money, raise more money. Don't try to be profitable. Just try to get eyeballs, become a billion-dollar company. And most startups were doing that. And if I were to say, no, you need to strive for profitability, I probably would have been laughed at by a lot of startup founders. But having watched past recession, having been in a tiny startup that had to scratch and crawl to every get every customer you could, like when I was at Meridian, I was like, man, this is going to be really important when there's a downturn and there's always a tech downturn. And so... That was what I was amazed by, was how well, like how fiscally responsible the company was run. And now it's benefiting us a lot in this economy. Yeah, I can imagine. And just, just like thinking about how that was possible, I think what you guys have done really well is, because it wasn't like massive amounts of R&D, there's not massive amounts of server costs. You guys have just taken a problem that needed to be solved 
and you guys were one of the first to solve it. And you solved it in a really good, well-designed, easy-to-use way. And so have then able to take this relatively large market and capture a big chunk without the massive investment that was needed. That's my analysis of the business anyway. Would you agree? I would say what was interesting is if you go listen to old interviews with Tope, our founder, there were other scheduling startups out there. There were ones for massage therapists and all that, but they were very vertically focused, which if I was the founder, I probably would have gone vertical because that's how I've been able to take a startup from zero to one. Like, let's go pick an industry where we're seeing some traction or no one's at, and let's just go. There's a lot of white space. Tope was really prescient about it where he said, let's go look to make this horizontal. There was no horizontally applicable scheduling tool out there really, or there was very few. And then it's like, how do we make it so that we don't have to have salespeople for every vertical? Salesperson for just financial services, just for oil and gas, just for media, right? And that was where the product-led growth came in. And so I would say it was the combination of the willingness to go big and go vertical and to use the product to make it easy enough to onboard and upgrade people without humans was where a lot of the hard work went. It was more about innovation in the self-serve model than it was necessarily about coming out with like AI 10 years ago or whatever. Innovation on PLG and we'll leave it there. So we'll obviously link to your LinkedIn profile. We'll link to PLG marketing newsletter. We'll also link to Topes, how I built this interview. Super cool. Love that. Yeah. Anything else we should link to? Obviously Calendly itself. Yeah, I would just say, please be my friend on LinkedIn. Check out PLG marketing, Jeff Hardison, Substack. If you can't find it on by looking around Substack. And thanks so much for having me, Tom. This has been great. Jeff, thanks for your time. All right, what do we think? Obviously, an incredible story. Jeff is clearly a PLG guru. So go check out the newsletter, which will be linked below. Massive shout out to Jeff. Massive shout out to Fame, who are producing the show. Fame.so is the domain we start and grow podcasts for B2B brands. And of course, thank you. And a massive shout out to you for listening. <laughs>